respect of him. We never take it for granted. We never assume. We never think it a small thing for the Lord of glory, the Lord of all the earth, to give us another day, another chance, another opportunity to worship him, to bless him. And all we need to do is do that. If God asked you to do something, there was a man in the Bible he was a man of power, he was a military leader, and he was a man who had, a case was called leprosy. His skin was chafed white and diseased. And some young slave girl saw his condition and heard him lamenting and spoke to someone else and said, there is a prophet in Israel. There's a man that if you would take this leader, if he would go to this man, he can heal him or be the means by which he is healed. So they let this leader, this captain, know. And the captain got his army together, his people together, and they went to meet the prophet. It was Elijah. And he stood there before him, calling upon the prophet to come out. And at first, the prophet wouldn't even budge, wouldn't even move to come out, but he sent his own servant has to tell this ruler, you go and you wash in the river Jordan and your leprosy will be healed. Mm -hmm. And the leader became upset. He said, I, I, I've come all this way. He brought him camels. He brought him um, what's this, this, um, merchandise. He brought him all kinds of clothes. He brought him gold. He brought him all kinds of things thinking I'm going to pay to quote the man of God and then he's going to then pronounce some great pronouncement and then I'll be healed but no the man of God sent him to a dirty low water running river as Jordan was at that time and the man couldn't understand he was offended that he would give him such a small assignment surely it should be something greater and grander but finally he was convinced by someone else that if, if the man of God had asked you to do some great task, you would easily have gone and done it. But all he's asking you to do is go and dip seven times in the Jordan. So reluctantly he went. And as he went and began to dip seven times, the leprosy was cleansed. Something so simple. All it required was obedience. It didn't require him thinking of a new way. Just go and do what God said to do. It may not look glamorous. It may not look pretty. He may not be sending you to the place with the bright lights and everything shining. But he's giving you a godly assignment. That is what it's like today. He's given us a godly assignment. We must not minimize it or downplay it, or think of it as something slight. As we were worshiping, it was going through my spirit. Many things were, but this one thing was going through my spirit on the day of judgment. God will see this day. God will look upon my heart on this day and say, what kind of worship did I bring to him? What kind of praise did I bring to him? What kind of life did I give him today? Was I waiting for someone else to do something? No. You present to God what God has given you to present to God. And all will be well. We've been studying the subject 
of steadfastness. We've been looking in the word of God and what it means to be steadfast. We discovered that it means being fixed, immovable. It means someone who's able to endure and is in a state of enduring. And if this message is so crucial for the church because many persons are what they would call wishy-washy or in and out or not really committed in our day and in our age. So finding out that the word of God actually encourages us to be steadfast, to be stable, to be reliable to God, dependable to God, to be in our place for his purpose. That's, that's the word in a nutshell. And we looked at Jesus being our first example, how that he humbled himself, came down from his place in glory to taste death for every man, Hebrews 2.9, if you have it in your notes. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by grace, he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And to the secular person who may be hearing this, or the one who may not know Jesus as your Savior, what this means for you is that Jesus could have stayed where he was, remained in his position as God, and let the whole world perish. Started over again and built another world. He could have been in his power to do that. He could have been in his right to do that as God. But he elected not to stay there, but to humble himself, submit himself to the plan of the Godhead, and to come into this world world and to be steadfast about the mission of salvation until he had not only lived, not only suffered, not only died on the cross, but resurrected and ascended into glory. Amen. So his steadfastness goes from beginning unto what we call the end. He would not relinquish what he started, and that is the spirit and the nature and the likeness that God wants in his people. And if you accept Jesus as your Lord, that will be the exact way he wants you to live. He would want you to live, and he wants you to live steadfast, fixed and unmovable. God's counsel is unchangeable. What he has determined, he continues to determine, if you, if you hear it that way. What God determined in the beginning, he continues to determine. He does not change his mind with regards to what his ultimate purpose is. If you understand that, you understand this. His counsel then is also unchangeable. What does that mean? That means that what God speaks from his mouth to us, he will never alter that. He will be steadfast. He will be committed to what he said. Human beings, on the other hand, as you well know, will say many things to you that they will not do or perform. God is not that way. What he has said is what he is saying. When someone says to you, what is God saying? He's saying the same thing he's always said. Obey the Lord. 
Seek his face. Submit your life unto him. These are the things he has said. James 4, 7 says it this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When I submit to God, I give God everything. He then has the right to exercise through me because I have given him everything. And the power then to resist the devil is transferred to me as a believer in the body of Christ. And when the devil sees the power of God transferred on the person who is in God, he runs away. Why? Because the devil is no match for God. I know if you watch too many science fiction movies, you may think otherwise. Because the science fiction movie always builds up the evil and always builds up the power of darkness and, and all the special effects shows what the darkness can do. Those who have been involved in witchcraft or sorcery, they will tell you that the greater power is in God. You have no greater witness than someone who has actually been in darkness that will tell you, no, there is a power beyond the power of the devil. That is the power of God. And God shows his power in his people. He has an unchangeable counsel. Hebrews 6 and 17 states, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, that means the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. What is the oath? That by two immutable things, his promise and his oath, those are the two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. Listen, it is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. When we examine the evidence of God, when we look at the truth of God, we understand he has taken his own name to represent the power of his own word and said, because I cannot lie, everything I am saying is predicated upon my commitment to truth. And this truth I am giving to my church. I cannot lie. I will not lie. I have sworn an oath by myself that what I have said is what is going to happen. This is the assurance that is in God. This is the assurance that flies in the face of natural opposition. What is that? Natural opposition is what you see. Natural opposition is what you hear. Natural opposition is what you feel. Natural opposition is what they show on television. Natural opposition is what your neighbors say or, or social media says. In the face of everything, God says, no, what I have said is what is going to come to pass. Doesn't matter how many late night news pundits have said this is going to happen and that's going to, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the guy down the street says or the people outside or, or those over the road. It doesn't matter. What God has said is exactly what is going to come to pass. 
It is the immutability of his counsel. It is the unchangeableness of his promise. It is the unchangeableness, the unbreakableness of his word. People often are the victims of human pressure. And human pressure will come and sit in your face, tell you at your work or at your school, you're in the minority. You're the only one praying over your meal. You're the only one reading your Bible in the break. You're the only one with a Christian slogan on your computer. You're the only one not swearing in the group. That kind of pressure does not change the word of God. It's only when we yield to it are we brought under its power. But if we look above it, what we see is that we are connected to God eternally. We are connected to God internally. And therefore, his mandate should override the external pressure. It's the immutability of his counsel, the unchangeableness of his word. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober. First word, sober. What is sober? Sober is the opposite of intoxicated or drunk. Be sober. <laughs> Don't be drunk. Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled by a foreign substance. Be sober. Be vigilant. What is vigilant? Vigilant is watchful. Vigilant is not fearful. Vigilant is watchful. If you are vigilant, you are watching what is going on outside of you, and you are watching what is going on inside of you. If you are growing in Christ, you should be at a place where your mind is disciplined by God. And if you're not there, you should be looking towards that place to get to a point where you are disciplined in your thought life. That you don't allow any and every thought to play havoc in your mind. We all come under, under attack. I come under attack. Things will try to press into your thoughts to try to overwhelm you or distract you. You have to be vigilant to push back on the distractions and say, no, I am not giving in to that line of thinking. Why? Because it falls outside of the counsel of God, which is unchangeable. I will the mind of Christ to be in me. I will the mind of Christ to be in you. And if that mind is in you, it should be superior to any other thought. The enemy wants you quiet. He wants to oppress you with his thoughts. And the more you listen to the thoughts of the enemy, the more you come under that oppression. But when you say, no, I am not going in that way. I'm not yielding to that. I, am, will, I will be vigilant. I will be sober-minded. And then the next line tells us why we should be vigilant. Why we should be sober-minded. The scripture says, because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 
That's a big statement. Let's back it up and look at the, at the top part of it. We're encouraged to be sober and to be vigilant for a reason. Not so we can have faces like someone who's been drinking prune juice or, or lemon juice. No. But that you can face down this adversary. And it is a personal adversary. He is your adversary. He is my adversary. What is that? That means he is personally against you. The devil is looking for whom is edible. He's not looking for just anybody. No, he's looking for those he can consume. He's walking around. That means that he's not in a fixed location. He's roaming, foresting, forging, looking about. Is there anyone who's not sober that I can gobble them up, who's drunk, intoxicated? Is there anyone who's not vigilant, not watching? You see, a thief would never come to a house if there's a guy sitting on the porch with a 12-gauge shotgun in his rocking chair looking directly down the road at him. He's not going up there. He's going to try to find a house where the lights are off and the fence is open and the back door lock is broken. He's looking for a place that's easily to access. So if we are sober, we know who we are in Christ Jesus. We know the blood and the price of the blood. We know the power of the blood. We know the power of the name of Jesus is greater than any name. It doesn't matter how many people are in attendance. It matters that the God in you is really God. It matters that the power in you is really the power of Jesus Christ. And we are vigilant. We are watching. We can see through the eyes of God. We can see what is going on. We are not blind. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. So when you are in that state of mind, this roar of the lion does not distract you. This roar of the adversary does not put you off. I expect lions to roar. That's what they do. And I expect to be able to slay that lion with the words of God. And I expect that roaring beast to run away. When I am standing in my place in God, I expect him to flee. Why? Because the Bible tells me that if I would humble myself unto God and resist this beast, that he, not me, he will flee. Because God's word is immutable, unchangeable, cannot be broken. And I understand this from the scripture, that it's not just in my case. That every single believer, it says the same thing is accomplished in your brethren. We are all facing the same kind of battle. And we all have the same kind of deliverance in God. And we all have the same security in Christ. And we all have the same banner of the blood of Jesus over us. And if we would stand our place, if we would resist the enemy through the blood of Jesus, if we would be steadfast in God. In my studies, it became apparent as I was going through that 100% of the persons that the enemy had invaded in some way, all were a result 
of some infraction of God's word, some breaking. It's like a fence. You break a, 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 a section of the fence and of course something can get in because there's an opening there. And case after case, it was something. In some cases, it was lust. That, that, that's all that the enemy needed was just that opening of lust. In some cases, it was lying, not telling the truth. And that became the doorway that the spirit of the enemy would come in. In other cases, it was sexual in, uh, uh, promiscuity, not being faithful to one's husband or wife. That became the door. Every single case, some case it was pride. Individuals filled with pride, wanting to be famous, wanting to be uh, known, notarized, wanting to be someone higher than God had placed them. Others eager, eager for position, and on and on. But in every single case, there was some breaking of God's word that allowed this lion, and that's the thing about the enemy as a lion, he is clever at finding those places of weakness. And in that place is where he attacks to break off the Christian from their stability, from their steadfastness. And if he can lure them or get them in that place, he can then attack them. We have seen on many National Geographic type programs where in the deepest part of the sea, there are fish that have what look like lures coming from the tops of their head. And that little lure will have a, a fluorescent light glowing so that small fish will see that little bulb and think it's something to eat and go swimming up to that little bulb, not knowing that that bulb is attached to a stem from that fish, other fish's head, and then suddenly it grabs them captures them. Many times the enemy does that. Even as a lion, there's a, there's a bait there. There's something that looks enticing there. So he's luring men, luring women with something that looks like something they would want. Sometimes it's the lifestyle, showing them a lifestyle that they go running after it and are captured. These are all techniques of the adversary seeking whom he may devour. But if we would resist him in the faith, understanding that God has made us capable of being steadfast while we're under pressure. God has given us the example in Jesus Christ of suffering without yielding. And if we give to him ourselves, he perfects us, matures us, he establishes us, stabilizes us strengthens us, settles us in himself. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when we give in to God. This love, this steadfastness, flow from the same source. We achieve the state of being steadfast through the love of God. And the love of God is strengthened in us when we are steadfast. If I say, Daddy God, I'm, I'm fixed. I'm not moving. I am locked in relationship with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not looking to go anywhere. I'm not trying to be anywhere else except with you. He then turns to us and says, yes, my son, dwell with me. 
Stay with me. Paul gave us this testimony in Romans 8.38. He said, for I am persuaded. That means I am convinced. There's nothing going to change my mind now. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament, that we have an assurance that when, and that first word there, or second word, I, is a personal declaration that you can make that I can make, as Paul made it. He said, I am persuaded. Not my family, not my tribes, not my husband and wife. I am persuaded. It's a personal statement. It doesn't exclude anyone. It simply says, you have made up your mind. I am persuaded that nothing will separate me from God loving me and me loving God. You can take it and turn it in both directions. That death, if I have to die, I will die knowing I love God and God loves me. Nor life, you can stack a pile of gold coins to the roof and tell me you can have this pile of gold coins if you leave Jesus. I will laugh in your face. Nothing in this life will make me depart from that love. Nothing in this life will make me think God doesn't love me. Are you seeing this? When you are under persecution or something happens, many persons doubt the love of God. They doubt, does God really love me? Because they see these things happening. Beloved, you must be persuaded God's love will never leave you. Even if you turn, curse him in the face, and go straight into hell, he still loves you. He hates what you've done, and he hates that you've thrown away your life, but he loves you. Nor angels or principalities, no spiritual force can make me depart from the love of God. No spiritual force can take me. No angel. What angel would want to separate me from God? Well, I can name one, Lucifer. And I can name who is the devil. All of his hosts. All those who went with him in the rebellion. None of them have the power of separating you from God. Nothing that they do, no disguises. Now, there are angels, as you can see. Above the angels, there are principalities. These principalities are lying in a level above the operation of angels in the heavenly realms. We understand in Ephesians chapter 6 that these are the principalities that bring to bear on the face of the earth all types of war and persecution. But these principalities are working chiefly to try to destroy and prevent men from coming to God. But the Bible is saying that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If we determine 
that we will be with him, he has already committed himself to us. Thirdly, there are powers, forces of energy that execute plans of darkness. We can get into this in another teaching on Ephesians, but this is what it's talking about. That none of these things, no angel, no principality, no power, no archon, no level of demonic energy can cut you off from God. You are secure in Christ and Christ is securing you. This is steadfastness, ladies and gentlemen. This is steadfastness. They cannot separate you if you do not want to be separated. Nothing present, nothing going on, no war, no sanctions, no imprisonment. There's nothing presently happening or anything in the future. Discussions of Armageddon, discussion of one world government, discussions of antichrist, none of that that is coming can separate you. That is steadfastness in the love of God, in the knowledge of God. No matter what they do, whatever law they pass in this country or any country, none of that can separate us. It is a confidence in him that is unshakable, making us steadfast. Nothing high, nothing high, nothing low. That's the depths. No matter where it's coming from, in the sea, there are people who talk a lot about marine spirits and kingdoms under the sea. I don't care where the kingdom is. It doesn't matter. There is no kingdom above the kingdom of God. There is no hierarchy above God. No angelic presence. Nothing, nothing is above the creator. And that is the confidence that we would have in Christ, in Jesus, in God. To hold fast in him. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will defeat this God whom we serve. That, ladies and gentlemen, is steadfastness. That is steadfastness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hebrews 6, 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. This hope that we have in Christ anchors us, allows us to be steadfast, to be sure, to be unshakable, to be unmovable. And it enters into the veil. What veil? The veil that Moses had in the tabernacle was between the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. That veil, the temple, was rent when Christ was crucified. The veil was rent from top to bottom, showing that God had torn away that separation between us and himself and applied the blood on the mercy seat. That is the power within the veil where the blood is applied. That is the seat, hallelujah, of steadfastness, if you want to look at it that way. Where the blood of Jesus is applied to the mercy seat is the place of the highest example of steadfastness. And when we enter in by the blood of Jesus to the mercy seat, it's applied to our souls. It is an anchor that will never be broken. It is an anchor that holds you. If someone said, what is keeping you in Christ? It is the steadfastness of the blood of Jesus. 
What is holding you in the Lord? It is the steadfastness of the name of Jesus. I cannot be moved. I cannot be shaken. I cannot be thrown off. I cannot be discouraged. I cannot be dissuaded. Why? Because he is steadfastly holding my soul, holding my spirit, holding my mind, holding my desire. I want to see him more than I want to see this world or this life or anything in it. That is steadfastness. Jude 1.24 brings us in. Now unto him, who is him? God. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That is a great place there to understand and comprehend. God not only has you when you give yourself to him, he is faithful to preserve you, to keep you from going back to where you came. Amen. When you are standing in him, you need not say, oh, I may fall. No, I've got you, he says. I have got you. I won't let you fall back into that place. You put your trust in him, you put your life in his hands, he will keep you from going back. People go into worldly systems all the time. They go through their seven steps, they go to their counselors, they go to their rehabs, and you see some of them go in and go right back out and go to drinking or having drugs or whatever it was again, because that system had not the power of God. But when God's got you and you're in his life, he will keep you from sliding back into the world, keep you from going back to where you came, back to where there's drugs or gossip or an illegitimate lifestyle or wickedness drinking, whatever it was, smoking, drug, whatever it was, he will keep you from going back to that thing. You could have been the biggest liar in town. He will make your tongue pure and straight. You will stop lying. You'll say, Daddy, God, keep me from falling. You could have been sleeping around with everything that moves. There, there you were laying down under it. But God says, I will keep you from living that way. And then after I've kept you, I will present you. Faultless. Beautiful, with no cracks, no wrinkles, washed in the blood, sanctified, something that God wants. I will give you over to God in that state. Jesus is not giving us over to God wrinkled up, bruised up, dirty, nasty. How would you feel if someone says, oh, this is a gift I have for you, and it's all dirty and torn and, and yucky and ooze is dripping off of it? You say, I don't want that. But you're giving something pure and clean Washed in Jesus' name. The last verse, 25. To the only wise God. How many? Only. One. Single. Godhead. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever, forever. Amen. What an end. What a conclusion. That this God deserves, is worthy of, contains, and has all the glory, all the majesty, all the dominion, all the power, all the honor is unto him. This is why the enemy runs. This is why that devil, that roaring lion, takes off and goes the other way. Because there is only one God. And Satan knows he is not that God. The devil knows he is not that God. This God has all glory, all majesty and power. 
Dominion means ruler over everything. That's unto whom we are presented by Christ, clean, washed, and faultless. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a conclusion of a steadfast life. Something that Christ takes, regenerates, renews and restores, preserves and keeps, and presents to God through steadfastness. And that steadfastness through the love of God. This is a great word from God. It's a great word in God. And we are praying to be exactly what God wants. To yield to the will and the purposes of God. And we're praying for all persons even now. If you stand with us, please. That this work of steadfastness that God desires would happen in us today, would be affected in our brothers and sisters today, and for the heirs of salvation who are to come, that this steadfastness through the love of God, this security in Christ, this washing, renewing, regenerating, preserving, and presenting to God of ourselves, right now, Father, establish in us. Give us this steadfastness of character. Give us this steadfastness of determination. Give us this steadfastness of desire, Father God, to keep ourselves presented to you, to keep ourselves yielded to you, to be steadfast, unmovable, unchangeable in your love. Daddy God, to submit ourselves to you that we may resist the devil, knowing that he will flee not from our flesh, but from you, because your authority and your presence and your person is in us. And the anointing of God is upon us to do your perfect will today. Father, we're praying for all of our brothers and sisters around the world that they would be steadfast in you, no matter what they are facing, no matter what they are dealing with, that they're being empowered with this revelation. Be ye steadfast in God. Be ye steadfast in God from today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Find your neighbor, your friend, put your arm around him. Tell them you are steadfast in Christ. Amen.